So I was in Montana doing a um, keynote for an event for the Ronald McDonald House. And beautiful event, uh, the people that put it on, they had three, 400 people show up, um, most of which were in red shoes. They, they did a red shoes, red carpet thing, and they had a whole theme to it. I, it's the first time I've ever seen it like that. So there were red shoes everywhere. At the end of that night, I went back to the hotel and I'm sitting there with a group that put this event on and a gentleman walked in with literally red, um, if you remember, you know, the tuxedo shoes, the black um, glossy tuxedo, tuxedo like patent leather things. Patent yeah. leather. Yeah. Well, these were red and he walked up to me and he took them off of his feet in front of all these people. And he looked at me and he handed them to me and he said, I'm confident you have a lot of red shoes, but I'll bet you don't have any like these. And I want to give these to you. <laughs> and my wife will not let me wear them no matter where we are. Uh, they are both the most beautiful red shoes I've ever seen and probably the most scary and ugly red shoes that I've ever seen, but they are the best by far because there isn't anything that I have that's as shiny as those. Um, yeah, so it's really funny. And then he walked out, by the way, with no shoes on. I offered to give him my red shoes that I had on, which were just some sneakers. And he said, no, I, the minute I heard your talk, I wanted to give these to you and I'll bet you don't own other pair like them. I said, no, I don't. I probably never will. <laughs> Hi, I'm Chris Whiteout. Welcome to Living It, the podcast where we join experts in the experience of being human. Be bold. Say yes to adventure. Say yes to living it. Welcome to Chris Whiteout, Living It, where we talk with experts in the experience of being human. Those who've taken the risk to realize their dreams and to live fully. Today, we have my good friend, Lonnie Main. Lonnie was a former technology and turnaround executive who now is going into a variety of different companies, a variety of different arenas, and teaching red shoes experiences. We're going to get into what red shoes experiences is because it's simple and it's profound. And I think that you will learn a whole lot from Lonnie. So Lonnie, thank you so much for joining us. Oh my gosh, Chris, thank you. It's great to be with you. It's good to see you. It's been a, a couple of crazy years, my friend. It has been some really, really crazy years, but we're emerging from crazy years. And obviously we have to learn something from the experience of having been in those crazy years. Now, I went and did a bit of research on you and I know you're you're doing this red shoes living thing, but you really should have been a professional wrestler, shouldn't you? I mean, your, your father was a second generation professional wrestler, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, he was. It's a crazy story. And and as people learn that, I think they the first thing they do is size me up. They look at me and go like, what happened? You know, I'm 5'10 and I'm not this big, you know, rock looking guy. Yeah, my father, father was like 270 or something, right? He was a big man. He was a big man. He His um, wrestling name was Moondog Maine. He was the original Moondog. And he had this blonde hair and this big blonde beard. Um, and he, I mean, he kind of looked like Santa Claus at some level, right? But uh, yeah, I grew up and he wrestled people like Andre the Giant and Rocky Johnson, whose son is Dwayne the Rock Johnson. And so I grew up, he passed away when I was 10 years old, but I got the experience of being with my father and going to the wrestling matches with him. And, and, um, you know, as I think back on that now, 
I thought everybody had a professional wrestler father, you know, it was just normal to me. <laughs> so I had all these crazy people that would show up at our house, you know, and these um, Andre the Giant used to stay at our house. We lived back east. And so that was always a real interesting experience. And, you know, but I learned a lot from my father um, up until the time he passed. And he he was this bigger than life persona of Moondog Maine, but yet he was a really great human being. And he treated his fans, you know, with kindness and respect. And um, and I watched that as a young boy. I watched him do that. I watched him not only sign autographs, but put his arms around people and hug them and get down on one knee and talk to children, you know, from eye to eye. I watched him pull his, he always had red wrestling boots. He would pull those boots off and, and give them to people. Um, and so when he passed and people showed up at his funeral, we had people show up with boots and say, yeah, your father... You know, when we were in California or we're in Hawaii, we were, you know, back east that handed me, you know, these boots. And so that always had a great impression on me um, in terms of how one can be at a high level in whatever field they are, but yet still be kind and respectful and human and connecting. Yeah. So, but yeah, crazy world. Lots of stories I probably shouldn't or couldn't tell, actually. <laughs> well, well, the red boots as well, connecting it. But it's interesting because he was... He was often the bad guy. He was often the bad guy. So yeah. went from being the bad guy to then turning that off and being the human guy who can connect with the little kids on their level and probably went from being the bad guy to, in a lot of ways, being their hero. Yeah. Yeah. He... Um... When I would go to the wrestling matches, when my mother would let me go, uh, what you just laid out is I would see that unfold and he would be, they called him the heel. He was the heel. He was the bad guy. And he was a really good bad guy. There was a, I think it's still on YouTube somewhere, but there was a, a little lady that as my dad walked into the ring one day, she had a cane and she stood in the, in the aisleway and faced my dad face to face. And she was yelling at him and my dad was kind of yelling back at her. And she was calling him on, like, let's go. I'll take you down. And everybody was laughing. And she's not part of the show. No, she. this was just a, a fan. And she took her cane and she was kind of waving the cane in front of my dad's face. My dad grabbed the cane and he threw it up into the ring and said, let's go. And she started to crawl up in the ring. <laughs> so the security grabbed her and they got the cane and pulled her back and sat down. So I would watch him like work the fans into a frenzy as this heel, as this bad guy. But then to your point, um, he wanted to humanize who he was. He wanted people to know that he wasn't just this persona, but he was a good human being. And so when we would leave the matches and we would walk to the car, always with security around him, um, people connected with him and he would smile. He had this little kind of Santa Claus, you know, smile and twinkle in his eye and people just loved him for it. So, you know, even all the way back then, even though back then they were trying to, you know, make wrestling uh, appear as though it was real, he actually created reality for people. You know, he'd say, here's my persona, but here's who I really am as a human being. And well, here's so who I really am. But he also I mean, he had to consider the audience, right? It was entertainment, which part of what you're doing is education. But at the same time, if it's not entertainment it doesn't go that far, does it? And what's also interesting looking at him too is the sense of taking that risk, right? Because the entertainment was, yeah, okay, okay. It's not real in the sense that 
these guys are trying to necessarily beat each other up, but they get beaten up a bit in making it look like they're beating each other up, right? I mean, you've got to take those risks to make it look really yeah. spectacular. Yeah, I mean, I, even as a young boy, I remember my father coming home, and <clears throat> this is probably maybe too much information, but I remember walking into, you know, my mom and dad's bedroom and seeing blood on the pillow, you know, from some hit he had taken the night before on his head, or he got stabbed one time, somebody broke a, a bottle as he was walking to the ring and stabbed him in the back. I mean, you know, people back then really believed this stuff. And um, my son, my youngest son has my dad's, uh, he was a six time professional wrestling world champion, right? So he had belts and and when he passed, they gave me one of the belts. And one of the belts, somebody shot at him uh, with a hollow point 22 from the back of the arena. Is my dad was in the ring holding the belt. And the bullet actually hit the belt instead of hitting him. And they caught the guy. This is in L.A. I mean, this has been many years ago. So that very belt my son has. You know, So there, there were kind of those stories like that where people just believed so much in this. And they had their you know, the wrestlers that they loved and didn't, and didn't love. Um, yeah. So he, he had all that crazy side of it, you know, as well. But. Wow. I mean, crazy. That's almost like that's Teddy Roosevelt in some ways too, right? This is Teddy Roosevelt presenting for the bull moose party, right? Where right. <laughs> yeah. he, he got shot and then gave his speech and then went to the hospital afterward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, and in, in, you know, to my mother's credit, because of the craziness of that, when I was little, she would let me go once in a while, but for the most part, she didn't want me to be part of that. And, um, and so I give her a lot of credit, you know, my, I probably turned out a little more like my mother than I did my father. Um, and, uh, and that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, so it was just an interesting way to grow, to grow up all by the time I was 10 years old. Well, so you've got that side of it, but then your uncle was a turnaround specialist and became your business mentor. So you've got like the public, like as public and spectacular as you could possibly get on one side. And then as, you know, data-driven and analytic as you could possibly get on the other side. And how did you end up marrying the two of these sides, and obviously you said you were you were as influenced by your mother as you were, or more influenced by your mother as your father. But I'd imagine it had to seep in though, too, right? Yeah, yeah. You have done your homework. That's that's funny. I and it's what's interesting about my mentor, my uncle, my dad's brother, is I don't talk about him a lot. But even when I do, you know, public speaking or keynotes, I don't talk about him. But he was he was one of the most influential people in my life. And my mother, to her great wisdom, saw the world of professional wrestling. And, and you know, I there's there's so much to that, right? And I think she desired something different for me. And so when my father passed, his brother, my uncle, the turnaround executive, I would go spend summers with him. And what I discovered is he was not much different than my father. In business, he was this bigger-than-life personality. But the way he treated people... You know, we would walk in, um, he ran a torpedo manufacturing company for a long, long time, and they had offices all over the country. And I would literally fly on his corporate jet with him. And I watched how he treated, you know, the, the pilots and how he treated the people that were taking care of the plane. And then as we would go to, 
either a manufacturing plant or an office. I watched how he treated, you know, the receptionist at the front desk and he treated everybody exactly the way I saw my dad treat him, which was with this kindness and this human connection. So I had kind of the best of both worlds. You know, I had a world of more public with my father and seeing how he treated people. And then I had a little more of a quieter life in business, but how my uncle did that. So all of those things really had an impression on me. And, and he was incredible. I mean, he, he ran multiple companies and did multiple turnarounds and the people absolutely adored him. The one connection, Chris, that might be interesting too for your audience is that my grandmother on my father's side, who helped raise me after my father passed away, she had this quote that she would tell me almost weekly. And it was treat those who have more than you as equals and those who have less than you as kings and queens. And as I got older, I started to think about that quote. And I'm not perfect, but that quote goes through my mind a lot. And she used to say, you can be fiercely competitive and be at the top of your game and all of that, but you have to remember this quote. Well, as I go back to my dad, that's what he was doing. And as I go to his brother, my uncle, who was my mentor, he was doing the same thing just in business. And yet they were hugely successful and competitive and held people accountable. And I'm like, all right, so wait a minute. Can we be kind and respectful and still be successful? And that's that was kind of the genesis of you know the beginning for me. It was like, yeah, you can do both. You can treat people with respect and kindness and hold them accountable and yet still be successful, whether you're an athlete, you know, like yourself or a business person or whatever the case may be. So was that the genesis of Red Shoes Living? Because part of this is that you were lucky, right? I mean, you were lucky that your mother, that your grandmother kept kept giving you this quote, you know, kept telling you this is this is how you need to do it. And and part of it is that you're lucky that she gave you that education. And then now you're taking what she had given you and sharing it because one, somebody else might not be as lucky to have to have had that education. Or two, a lot of us might know something and then it completely slips out of our head and we need to come back to center. So was that the genesis of red shoes and was the red shoe part of it from, from your father wearing the red shoes in the ring? So, yeah, no, these are great questions. And so it was the Genesis, uh, it's where it started. The Genesis, though, and then I'll take you through why we call it Red Shoes, because everybody always wants to know where did that come from? And it's a little bit of a curse for me now, Chris, because if I run into somebody at the airport and I don't have red shoes on and they've heard me speak or they know me or whatever, they're like, where are your red shoes, you hypocrite? You know, so um, as I got older, father passed away. My uncle, the mentor, I would spend time with him. And he he taught me a lot about business and mergers and acquisitions. And so when I went into the business field, came out of college, went into the business field, and I started working for companies that were acquiring other companies. We would take uh, you know a company of $2.5 billion in revenue and grow it by acquisition to $7.5 billion in like two years. So you've got all this chaos and you're asking people to move and you're, you're probably asking people to leave the company. So you create all this fear and this um, kind of uncertainty and doubt. And the genesis really for Red Shoes started right then because I realized that as we were creating disruption, creating fear, making people feel unsafe because of all the volatility of these changes we were making, 
that the only way for us to then be successful moving forward as an organization was to keep the human spirit alive. And so I was a young leader back then, and I kept seeing that we were destroying people's confidence. You and I, before we got on air, we, we had a conversation about confidence. I'm like, well, how do we rebuild confidence? How do we rebuild trust? So I went back in time and I started thinking about how people did it with me, you know, my grandmother, my grandfather, my father, my uncle, and how they built that confidence, humble, if I may, um, hopefully, uh, confidence. And so I started to bring that forward. And we started to one by one with the leadership teams in these companies, sit down with them and say, look, we realize we've created all this disruption, but if we can focus on just a couple of things, just a few things, five, it happened to be five. I sat down with the team and said, what are the five things that if we sat down and said, let's just be more aware, let's be more grateful. Let's understand that everybody has a story. Let's be even more kind and respectful than we've ever been, but let's continue to put ourselves out there. So, that started to become the genesis. And as we took those five things and we put them into everything that we did, from how we led to the culture of the company, to the, the customer experiences that we were creating, and then we were asking people, and then live your life that way. You know, and, and, and Chris, you're a great example of a Red Shoes leader. I mean, you've lived this incredible life where regardless of any adversity that's hit you, you've put yourself out there and you you're humble and you're confident and like all these, you're grateful, like all of those components. So anyway, I took that and then I left corporate America after 20 years and I went to a little tech company. This is where the red shoes comes into play. And as I got into corporate America, I was still wearing like a coat and a tie, um, you know, and dressing like corporate, you know, used to dress. And one day my kids are like, dad, you can't, you work for a tech company. Now you can't like wear a jacket you know, take the tie off right away. <laughs> and I said, okay. So I started doing get that. The, get, from your grandmother, you get the education and then you get it from your children as well. This is good. I like it. So true. Yeah. So they went with their mother to the mall one day and they said, look, we got to, we got to make dad a little more hip. He's, you know, he's now working. He's the old guys working with these, you know, younger, awesome tech people. So they bought me a hoodie they bought me a pair of, you know, like black jeans and a black t-shirt and a pair of red van tennis shoes. And they gave them to me. And I'm like, I can't wear that. And they're like, you're wearing that, dad. So I put those on. I went into the office, you know, the next day. And it just happened to be, there was a small team and I was addressing the team. And I said, look, here's something I've learned. You know, we want to stand out for the positive in everything we do from how we send an email to how we talk to people to how we respect people. And I just kept going down this whole list of this is what we're going to do. We want to be kind and respectful and yet be competitive, you know, and yes, we want to win, but not at the expense of, you know, human beings and all this stuff. And as I was going through that, the head of marketing looked down at my red shoes, my red van shoes. And he said, Lonnie, I totally get it. You want to stand out just like those red shoes that you're wearing are standing out. And it stuck that that stuck. And so for, so we grew that company from like 14 people to over 2,500 people. And, you know, we competed and won major contracts like with Nike and McDonald's because we made a choice to stay simple and, and human um, and stand out like a pair of red shoes. That, that was our whole thing. So, Which has to be the reminder. I mean, because it's interesting that you said that if you're at the airport and you're not wearing red shoes, that somebody can call you a hypocrite. Yeah. 
They do. They do. <laughs> you're not living it. You're you're not wearing the red shoes. But that's that's one of the worries for for all of us, isn't it? That that like you know you know the answer, but do you always live the answer? Is is a really big challenge. And so are are the red shoes that reminder that bring you back to center and and some of it you went through quickly in terms of your five pillars yeah. but the idea of of awareness like what what do you mean by awareness because we think we know i mean this is the whole thing of like doing your mission vision values and and goals kind of thing like okay well we want to be honest and it's like okay doesn't everybody want to be honest but what does it mean? So like, so like, let's go through these things on a personal level, I think as well, you know, like this idea of like awareness is what does the awareness mean to you? Yeah. So, and, and thank you for bringing me back to the pillars, because this is really the, uh, the framework, if you will. Um, and, you know, people will have their own frameworks and that's totally fine. I, I think the important thing as it relates to red shoes is whatever, standing out for the positive means for the individual. So in, in other words, Chris, you have you have your own version of red shoes and I have mine. If I learn your version, I may learn something that I've never thought about before and I can take it on and then I can become even more red shoes. I can stand out for the positive because Chris does something that I didn't even think about. So it's this perpetual model, but awareness to go back to the pillars. Um, so there's three things to red shoes. The first one is the philosophy, which I've talked about, standing out for the positive in how you work and how you live. And you get to define that. We all get to define that and standing out like a pair of red shoes. The second thing is a question that says, is what I am about to do right now red shoes? And by nature of asking that question, what it means is, will it stand out for the positive? So even doing this podcast with you, that's on my mind. Like, this is not about me. This is about Chris. It's his podcast, his audience. And so... What can I do to stand out for the positive, you know, for his community? Um, and then the third thing is the framework. So to take it back to the framework, awareness is the gateway to everything we do. So if you think about the last three years, um, I think it's been now with everything that we've been through in the world, whether it's COVID or civil unrest or wars, and it continues, right? There's all kinds of noise out there. Awareness says, can we turn that noise down? And can we focus on the basics, the simple things? Can we focus on kindness? Can we focus on respect? Can we listen more than we talk? Um, can we not <clears throat> let that negative noise of the world get inside of us in a way that it changes our energy or changes our behavior? So, you know, for me and meeting you and knowing you, <clears throat> the best part about that is I'm aware of how positive you are. <clears throat> and so that, that has an impact on me. And that transfers into my interactions, you know, throughout the day. So awareness says, turn the noise down. Oftentimes it says, put your phone down. Um, if you're at lunch with somebody, you know, look them in the eye, listen to what they're saying, ask good questions, uh, be grateful for the time that you have with them. Uh, if you, as we do, we live here in Park City, Utah, absolutely beautiful place. Whether the sun is coming up or the, the snow is falling, be aware of that. Pay attention to it. Be grateful for it. So awareness is, is heightened, a heightened level of consciousness that says, I'm not going to let the negative noise of the world get in the way of what is good. So the situation we just recently had in the NFL where the you know young man 
um, have the heart condition, the level of awareness in that moment, when we can all say what, whatever we want, but from the coaches to the captains of the fo both football teams, to the players, to the fans, our level of awareness shot up incredibly because one human being was struggling on that field. And so that, that level of awareness is what I'm talking about. So in, whether it's in business or it's with our friends or it's with our family, it's saying, okay, look, we all have a lot going on, you know, whether it's financial pressures or mental health pressures or whatever the case, but can we turn that down just a little bit and recognize the person that's standing right in front of us and how do we connect with them? So for me, I say that, you know, the gateway is awareness. Um, we have to start there. And literally I wake up every day and think, okay, um, you know, if I wake up in the morning, I immediately go to my phone and my wife is saying, Hey, can we have a conversation? Where's my, where's my level of awareness? Can I, can I put the phone down? Can I look her in the eye? Right. Can we have that beautiful conversation that's necessary for her? Um, and then the second one is gratitude, you know, in the framework. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah. Well, let me, let me take a step back too. Cause I mean, you also mentioned like your, your uncle coming in and treating everyone exactly the same right this idea of 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 you know awareness in some ways for me is this idea of seeing people for the first time yeah right because it's so easy to see oh well this is so and so and they do this so i don't need to be as engaged with them as i do the important person but seeing them for who they are and seeing from them as the human being, as opposed to what other, whatever other name tags or whatever they want to, they want to wear name tags is our, is our moniker with, uh, with my educational program, but, but looking beyond that to actually see the individual. I mean, it's really interesting to talk about that awareness and being appreciative of what's going on, but also seeing the yeah. individual and kind of seeing it with seeing people with new eyes. Yeah. Well, and you, you said it so well, whether you're, you know, a business executive or an Olympian or, you know, whomever you are, it's, it's that it's seeing um, people for the human being that they are. I often say, you know, we go to the grocery store and the person that's checking you out, the person that maybe is bagging the groceries, you know, I see them as the same as I would anybody else. Meaning I see the human being first, you know, um, so yes, it's not passing judgment on somebody um, one way or the other. Um, so, I mean, it really, it really starts, it really starts there. Uh, I think what's interesting about that level of awareness too, is when, when it's happening to you, when somebody is not maybe aware of you or aware of you in a way that is um, disrespectful, it's profound. It's it's a little bit sad, you know. Uh, you you kind of want to look at people and go, well, hold on a minute. I may not, you know, I may not <clears throat> be the person you want me to be, but I'm still a human being. You know, I'm still important. And so it flips kind of back and forth, and it kind of keeps you stable and humble when you think about it that way. So, yeah, and I'm important to me, right? So hopefully you can see that I'm important to me, and I can see that you're important to you. Yeah, good place to start, right? Right, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which which leads directly into into gratitude as well, which I don't know that we give ourselves and our surroundings that much gratitude. I mean, it's almost like we take advantage or take it take it for granted. 
sometimes. Yeah. Well, you, you, for me, you know, as your friend represent so many of the things that we're talking about, because when I think about gratitude, again, you know, when our awareness drifts and the noise of the world, the negative noise of the world gets too loud, um, we become ungrateful. The number one trait in all of the leaders that we've interviewed over the years, and I mean, leaders from, you know, corporate America, business, politics, you know, athletes, the number one most common trait they have is gratitude. And it's interesting because, you know, they're grateful for whatever health they have, they're grateful for that. Whatever friends they have, they're grateful for that. Wherever they live, they're grateful for that. You know, whether it's snowing, like I said, or raining or the sun is out, they're grateful. They find gratitude in all of these things. And in gratitude, when we're that way, we flex it. We have to flex that muscle of gratitude every day. Um, and by the way, none of this is meant to be perfect because we also have to give ourselves space to not be perfect, to, to be ungrateful, to, to lack awareness because we're human. So we're going to have days where my awareness drifts or my gratitude drifts. But if you think about gratitude specifically, when we are grateful human beings, that creates space around us. It allows people to step into the space and connect with us as human beings. Um, it allows opportunities to come our way. We get to see the world when we're grateful in a way that's a little different than maybe the, the individual that's ungrateful, you know? So again, if it's snowing, you know, we, we see, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get on the mountain and ski. And other people are like, oh my gosh, I gotta go shovel, right? <laughs> so it's a mindset. If you're, if you're ungrateful, you become very cynical and small and the space around you becomes small, you know? And then you wonder why people aren't stepping into the space, you know, or opportunities aren't coming your way. And so we talk a lot about be grateful. Um, I always say I could bore people to death with the minute I woke up this morning, what I was grateful for, you know, from a good night's rest to hot water, right? To like to the dog running up to me and, you know, being happy to see me to like all when you really flex that muscle, your perspective, your mindset starts to change. So gratitude is critically important. It, it, that to me is really interesting in that, it leads to fulfillment, you know, a sense of being gratitude and fulfillment are closely related in my, in my mind and thinking about it that oftentimes we live in a sense of delayed fulfillment that when I get there, then I'll be fulfilled. Then everything will be okay. Which robs us of, of kind of showing up as our best self, right. And our strongest self, because we're like, we're fighting that battle as opposed to going, okay, I've actually, I've, I've done something. I need to remind myself of why I should be happy in this situation. Well, and that point that you're bringing up is a really important point because, and I know I'm not the only one to say this, but when we live in the now, like right now, you and I are having a conversation. There is nothing else in my world happening. It's just you, Right. But sometimes, you know, we we live in the past, we're trying to solve the past and we live in the past and that creates unrest, right? And then we we start thinking about the future and we start to live in the future. So what somebody said to me a long time ago is learn from the past, but don't live there. Um, prepare for the future, but don't live there, but live in the moment. So if you're if you're having a good meal with a friend, taste the food. And be grateful for it. If you're having a conversation with a good friend, as you and I are right now, be in the conversation and enjoy it. There's nothing else in the world going on. And yet, I think that's where sometimes people get caught up is they're in the past, they're in the future, they're in the moment for a minute, and then they're on their phone and then like they're everywhere. No, just stay 
stay centered. So, and, and in whatever they think other people or the world in general expects them to be as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Really confusing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So that's gratitude. <laughs> which which leads to the counter is is that everyone has a story, right? Everybody is not always having a great day. No. No. And yeah, that's the third pillar in Red Shoes Living is just to understand that we have stories that are legacy stories. They're from our past. We have stories that change to your point, like in a moment in the day. Um, you know, we have stories maybe about our future. And so as we increase our awareness, we increase our gratitude, and we understand that every single person every day that we come in contact with has a story. So the person that's honking at you with the light, because you haven't you know, as soon as light turns green, you haven't left yet. And they're honking at you. Even it saves me multiple times when I say, okay, that person has a story. Who knows? Maybe they're on their way to the hospital. Maybe they're on their way to pick up a child. Maybe they've had a bad day and maybe I was driving a little slow, whatever the case may be, but it kind of helps us navigate. You know, um, my wife and I were in New York over Christmas and we talked a lot about everybody has a story as you interact with people in New York, on the streets of New York, you know, and you can start to see stories develop. And sometimes we create a story in our mind about somebody that's unfair, you know, that maybe we don't, if we really knew their story, the story that we created might be something completely different. So how do we connect with that individual? Um, yeah, so that, that became a really important part of life. And as we've gone through the last several years of challenges and the world, you know, and I'd like what you said at the very beginning, we were chatting, like we're moving into a new direction. It's a, a new space for stepping into that's positive. It's, it's good. We're leaving some of that behind, but our story's changed. I was on the phone with a client um, during COVID and it was a, a lady and she was talking with me, executive of a financial company. And she said, Lonnie, can you just hold on one minute? We were not on zoom. We were just on a phone call. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And I could hear her and then I could hear her interacting with somebody. And I, in my head, I thought she was in the high rise office in New York city and she was home and she came back and she said, I'm so sorry. She said, my husband has liver cancer and I'm watching him walk across the, the living room into the kitchen. He's moving a little slower today. Well, in that moment, that became her story. For the next 15 minutes, we didn't talk business. We didn't talk about anything except her husband. Um, and, you know, I had to create the space for that. And she did as well. But we talked about it. And so it's little moments like that when we recognize the thing that was most important to her was not what I was telling her from a red shoes perspective. It was that her husband was moving a little slower today, you know. So I think that it goes back again to awareness, gratitude, and then we come back to the stories and say, when we really pay attention and listen, this is how we connect with people, you know, as their stories change. So because we know our story, right? You know, when when you're at the green light and not going, I know my story. I'm I'm already 15 minutes late, and now I'm getting later. Right. <laughs> we don't know your story, or you don't know my story, and that's that. I mean, it's just. It's a great way. In so many ways, it's funny because as you've been talking, some of what I've thought is that whole adage back in the day of like, like count to 10 before you react. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And those little, those little things, those little tools that we were taught help in those moments. And it's the simple things, Chris. I, and I think that's what we discovered 
a long time ago is let's not overcomplicate this. Let's go back to what we all know. Like everything you and I have talked about today, we all know this. You know, it's just we have to make sure that we don't let that negative noise of the world take over. So if we can quiet it down and, and stay here, stay connected here, um, then the world's a little better place. Our lives are a little better. And hopefully the people we come in contact with, their life's a little better as well. So, And we're not wasting all of our energy battling and grinding and, and all the friction taking all the energy. It, it gets to be a frictionless society where, where essentially you're kind of building on the moment and on each other. Yeah. Yeah. There's an energy to it. I, and first time you and I came together, you know, I remember we had lunch and we chatted and all of these things we're talking about started to come together. And I left that lunch energized and feeling good. Right. And so then, then it's a transfer of energy. Like who did I transfer that positive energy um, with throughout the day? Because I had such a great interaction with you. And that's when you bring it back into like the business world, that's the idea of it. You know, it's not perfection, but it's an idea that says, look, if we can interact this way, you know, we'll transfer that energy. You'll transfer it to me. I'll transfer it to you. Maybe we transfer it to other people and it's perpetual and we just keep moving, you know, forward in an elegant way. And and you want to believe, which leads to the next one, that that you're on the same team, right? And that, that people are watching out for you and you're watching out for them and you matter. Right. Which makes yeah. it easier to start, right? Yeah. I think more today than ever, people want to be seen. They want to matter. You know, we, we, we've been through a lot. Um, we're emerging in a, in the most beautiful way that we possibly can. Uh, but people want to be seen. They want to know that they matter and, and matter doesn't mean how much money you make or what your status is in your career, or whatever it, it, what matters is how you treat people and how, you know, people treat you like these are the things that are really important. Um, yeah. So seeing everybody. Uh, yeah. So I think that's key. Yeah. Which leads to respect and kindness, right? Yeah. It respect and kindness is the fourth pillar in red shoes. And I would tell you that outside of all the other pillars that we've talked about today, if you really want to make an impact in somebody's life, including your own, you know, I, I think if we turn this on ourselves and say, can we be more kind and respectful to ourselves? Can we give ourselves some grace? Um, there are days I totally mess this up. And listen, I'm held to this accountability of red shoes every day. So if I'm not red shoes every day, my friends and family, I get called out on it all the time. <laughs> so I discovered a few years ago, I need to create a little bit of space for me to totally mess it up. And so I talk about this now because we put such high standards on ourselves, we're not going to get it right all the time. So kindness and respect actually starts with being kind and respectful to ourselves first. And, and you are ultimately human. Absolutely. Yeah. And as hard as we want to be at the highest level and the best of red shoes or whatever we want to call it, we're not always going to get it right. So if we can do that to ourselves and then we can translate it out, um, people, you know, I, I like to ask the question, when's the last time you've received a handwritten note um, from somebody in the last 90 days of just appreciation or thanks? And in audiences, I'll ask that. And sometimes I'm completely surprised. Sometimes many, many hands go up. And then, you know, oftentimes, though, too, no hands go up. And if you think about the impact of a handwritten note of thanks, not an email, not a text, not even a phone call, but just a, a handwritten note, 
that you either mail to somebody or give to somebody, you know, as you're interacting with them, the kindness and respect that that shows to that individual and the impact that that has is profound. And, you know, we live in a modern world today, but I'm telling you the little things like that matter because people, they crave kindness. They crave respect. You, you fly a lot, Chris. I know you speak a lot and, you know, you get on a plane and you watch how anxious people are. Um, and so when you show, yeah, when you show them just a little bit of kindness and you say, thank you, or you say, you know, can I help you? Or it, these little moments in time, it's almost shocking to people now because the noise of the world's loud. We're moving way too fast. So when we just pause, right? It's it's interesting that you say that and, and put it in the context of flying, right? Because I showed up at the airport few months ago, a couple of months ago, something like that. And I showed up early because yeah. I knew that I had a bunch of work to do before I got on the plane. And it didn't really make sense to try to do it at home and then go there. Like I could be in one place. And I showed up and I ran into two friends in the, in the Delta club yep. as, as I showed up and ended up not doing any of my emails and, and, and seeing my friends. And later on, maybe that next week, maybe the week after I forget exactly what it was, but one of my friends sent me a handwritten note of like, it was so great to see you. Let's get together. And it, it, it's, it totally comes out of the blue, right? We live in this digital age where email is just churning back and forth. But that personal note goes so far. So yeah, it's it really is that respect and that kindness, but just that just that thought and that humanity. Yeah. And I'm watching you as you tell that story. It's interesting to me when people tell stories that are heartfelt and you actually touch your heart twice, I think, you know, um, and, and that's it. That's the key, right? So uh, when we can do that and we can do that every day and we can do that for complete strangers, by the way, just by acknowledging their humanness, by, by seeing them, by saying hello to them, by saying thank you to them, by witnessing something great that maybe a stranger did by just saying, Hey, I just saw what you did. That was really cool. You know, thanks for doing that. Or you hustled for this person or you helped this person to their car, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And so that kindness and respect today goes further than probably any other pillar, you know, that we, we talk about. Um, and it's not hard. It's a simple, it's a simple thing. It doesn't take as much to give as you end up receiving. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely right. But putting yourself out there is a is a hard one, right? So, so that's the fifth pillar is putting yourself out there. So as we as we created this very simple um, framework that we all know, you know, these were the five things we said. Look, if we can take these five things, with the fifth one being put yourself out there, put them at the center of everything we do, from how we live as human beings. Um, be aware, you know, be grateful, understand everybody has a story, be kind and respectful, and then put yourself out there. Like, you know, what you're doing with this podcast, Chris, and what you do when you speak and what you do with everything that you do is you put yourself out there. I'm the benefactor of that. You know, the, the children that you impact are the benefactor of that. Their parents are the benefactor of that. Um, putting yourself out there is the action. That's the do. That's you climbing the mountain. You know, that's you doing all these amazing things in your life that you've done that I've come to discover in it. And it's inspirational. Um, if you take your friend, if I may, that wrote you the note, 
that you ran into, two friends you said you ran into, one of them wrote you a note. His level of awareness, just to go back to the beginning. Her level of awareness, but yes. Her her level of awareness was so high. um, And she was so grateful, which is the pillar number two, to have seen you. She understood you had a story at some level. You were traveling, you guys connected again, and maybe you shared past stories and future stories and whatever. The kindness and respect I know as a friend, both of you had. And then what she did is she put herself out there and wrote you a note. That's red shoes. She took all five of those things and she wrapped them together. And then the final thing she did is she acted on it. And she created a red shoes experience for you that left you as you were sharing the story with me, holding your heart in appreciation. That that is probably the best example. Um, So whoever she is, good for her. (laughs) Uh, But that's it. That's red shoes. That's all it is. So it it really is and and that's the it, it's interesting because there's the putting yourself out there and and in putting yourself out there one of one of my biggest worries and we've kind of talked about this a little bit right is the you know the person coming up to you and saying hey you're a hypocrite you know i don't know about you but one of my greatest fears is is effectively like like being called a fraud you know, it's like, this is who, you know, and this is the imposter syndrome and all of that stuff, right? And and it's and it's a, a difficult thing for all of us. But it, it's it's knowing that these are the standards to which we want to live. But holding ourselves to that standard and reminding ourselves, do you have any any tricks for people? Because it makes it easier to put yourself out there if you feel like you're being authentic throughout your day. Yeah. I think, I think as you presented that to me, there's a couple of things that I think about for me personally. The first one is intentions, you know, um, having good intent. In other words, if I ask myself, what is my intent? Um, And and I'm going to go somewhere that actually, this is really brilliant that you brought this up. What I know I have good intentions, it doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect, but I know that I have good intentions and I may totally mess it up, whether it's in my relationship with my spouse or it's in, you know, interactions with a stranger. My intentions are good as they're coming out of me. Sometimes, though, those get misaligned or misunderstood even. Um, As long as I know my intentions were good, at least I can come back to a base and I can even apologize, right? I can say, you know, I probably could have handled that better. What I was trying to do was this or what I was trying to say is this. And clearly the way it came across was not received that way. So let's talk about that. So intentions are are really, really important. Um, Another thing, and this is a mentor of mine, I'm going to go somewhere really quick with this, but I have a mentor of mine. He's part of what I call the model of sustainability. And so for me to be red shoes at the level that I want to be red shoes as an individual, I can't do it alone. You you have to have a group of individuals that surround you that um, become your advocates. They become your inspiration, your support. So you would be part of my model of sustainability. I know that if I needed something, I could call Chris Waddell and say, Chris, I need some help. And you would step in and say, I got you. What, what do you need? You know, um, we need this is that the equivalent of like meeting meeting your friend at the gym, right? I want to get in shape. I'm I, I'm beholden to you because we're going to meet at five o'clock. Exactly. And and if and if that's your desire to go to the gym and get in shape, the last thing I'm going to do as part of your model of sustainability is is give you M and M's every morning. 
right? <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to enable you. I'm going to give you, you know, some water and I'm going to wake you up. And so that becomes our model of sustainability. It can be our friends, our family, you know, whomever. Um, so a gentleman for me, and I wrote about him in the book, his name's Maz Iqbal. I talked to him yesterday. We, we, for almost 10 years now, we speak every week for 30 minutes on WhatsApp video. He lives in Switzerland. He's a very Zen guy. And he's part of my model of sustainability. He holds me accountable to what's important to me, which happens to be red shoes. And so if I veer to the left or veer to the right, he's the one that, that steers me back. And he asks me questions that I love. One of which, I'm going to give you two. One of, one of which is, uh, what ego are you bringing to any given moment? So I come into the podcast. I literally in my head thought Maz Iqbal would say, what ego are you bringing into this podcast with Chris? Is it all about you? Is it about his community? So it kind of keeps me centered, right? I'm like, all right, don't bring the wrong ego. Hopefully it's the right ego. And staying humble in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. yeah. The other, There's two more I want to give you the questions that he asks. And this is why this is brilliant. He'll say, ask yourself every day, what do you know to be true? So in any given moment, if you say, what do I know to be true about this moment for me right now? Well, you know what I know to be true? I am loving the fact that I get to spend some time with Chris. We've been trying to get together for a long time and he's asking great questions, right? But if we keep asking ourselves that, what do we know to be true? Well, you know what? I'm tired and that's okay. But I know to be true that I'm kind of tired. And why am I tired? So that was the second question. And then the third one that just helped me so immensely. So again, this is somebody in my model of sustainability that holds me accountable to being the best version of myself in terms of red shoes. He said to me during COVID, when COVID happened, I'm sure you had this similar experience, but you know, I do a lot of speaking events and of course everything got postponed. You know, things started to go virtual, but it took some time. And I was complaining to him. I was hiking up on the rail trail in Park City. I had him on WhatsApp video. I was ungrateful. <laughs> I was cynical. I was small. And I kept saying, Maz, this is awful. I've got all these speaking events. They've postponed. And, you know, this is a revenue stream for me. But more importantly, I want to share this message. He listened to me for 20, 25 minutes. And he finally said, Lonnie, are you done? And I said, I am. <laughs> and he said, I have one question for you that's going to change everything in terms of how you think about that. And I said, okay, hit me. And he said, what does it open up for you? What does all of this adversity open up for you? And Chris, I know you're, you know, you're such a great example of this. And I, I hung up with him and I started walking home and I started thinking about it. And I thought, well, I've got three boys that want to play more golf. As the world opens back up, maybe I can play golf with them every Thursday, or, you know, I can do virtual events or I can, and all of a sudden my mind shifted into, yeah, you're right. So, you know, whether it's your adversity or my adversity, if we ask that question, what does it open up for us? It's going to open something up that we probably never even thought about. If I didn't have a model of sustainability to hold me accountable to those five pillars, I would have never thought about that. But because I have good friends, good people around me that challenge me and I create the space for them to challenge me, it makes me a better human being. And so that's key. And it's a great lesson, isn't it? Because we often think that we're supposed to be able to do this all by ourselves. Yeah. And we don't build a structure and a network that's going to support us. And it's interesting that looking at like going through school, like it's, it's essentially given to you, right? You, you go through school, you have teachers, you have administrators, you have peers, you have coaches, you have teammates that, that are part of this. 
And then we kind of go off on our own. And whether we get this in the workplace or not is often dependent upon the workplace sometimes. Yep. But we're responsible. Suddenly we're responsible much more so than we were earlier in our lives where everybody gave us that, that surrounding nurturing environment. And how do we make, you know, cause that's gotta be conscious too, doesn't it? That we have to be conscious of, of building the support that we need to get better. And it's not just about us. We're obviously it's a symbiotic relationship too. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, as I listen to you, one of the great things that's happened in the last um, several years from my experience is we become more open and vulnerable. Um, I have more people call me and I've been able to pick up the phone and call other people and say, listen, this is a challenge I'm dealing with regardless if it's professional or personal. Um, you have any advice, you know? So I think the world uh, has, has, it's been polarized on both sides, but people are coming together. I have no issue with picking the phone up and saying, you know what? I bet Chris Waddell would really know something about this. And I could call you or text you or whatever and say, Hey, I need some help. So I, I think that's part of the key um, as we move forward is humanizing each other in a way where we can put our egos because we all have them aside in an effort to help each other, to help each other grow, to share with each other. Um, and what an amazing gift it is too, which is really strange, right? A gift for you to call your friend and say, such a hey, gift. I'm having I'm having a problem with this because it's easy for us to look at it and say, oh, it's a burden. Like I, I'm laying my burden on somebody else's on somebody else's lap here, as opposed to giving the trust and the vulnerability to a friend to say, you really matter to me. Can you help me with this? Yeah. Yeah. So, so true. And I've had the experience, Chris, where I've been fretting with some challenge or issue for weeks. And then I'll decide to finally, you know, pick up the phone and call somebody. And I've had this experience happen a few times where, you know, let's say I called you and laid out whatever the challenge or obstacle was in front of me. Mm -hmm. And simply the person says, oh yeah, I've dealt with that multiple times. And here's what I would tell you, just do this. And, and you spend about three minutes with them and you're like, huh, yeah, I, huh. I've been fretting over this for weeks. I've never even thought about that. Yeah, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it is to you because it's happening to you. But what I would do is just X and you hang up the phone and you go, oh, my gosh, I've been fretting over this for three weeks. <laughs> and Chris just gave me this simple philosophy based on his own experience about how he handled it. And I never thought about that before, you know, Um and I, so I think that's the key. And even your podcast that you're doing with all the amazing people you have on your podcast. I mean, that's the insights that you're giving to people is people could listen to these podcasts and go, wow, how interesting is that? I've never tried that on. I'm going to try that on. I'm going to do that, you know? So. And stop one, stop wasting time. Right. Because we're so good at wasting time, right? Wasting all this energy, worrying about this, worrying about that. And it's always easier from the outside too, isn't it? To, like our problems are our problems and they are so important and they are the most important problems in the world. Right. And somebody else has that one little nugget that goes, Oh, Lonnie, well, what about this? Or, you know, think about that. And you go, Oh, okay. You mean it's that, it's that easy? Come yeah. on. I was working really hard on this. 
Yeah. Well, and I think our significant others, right, um, have that ability sometimes because we're close to them. And, you know, with with my wife, Jen, I can lay something, you know, down to her in terms of what I'm struggling with. And she'll just go, oh, yeah, well, why don't you just do this? And I'll just shake my head and she'll kind of walk away like, you know, and I'm like, I I, I, I never thought about that. <laughs> you know, so anyway, look, we, we live, Chris, we live and always have lived in challenging times and changing times and adversity and everything. But I think that mindset and outlook is important. Not every day is, is perfect. Uh, but when we surround ourselves with good people, when we put these basic principles, whatever they may be in front of ourselves, and we have good intentions and we move forward, we do make this world a better place. And other people do the same thing for us and they make us better. And when we know better, we do better. Hopefully we learn we mess things up, but at the end of the day, we're all trying to be good human beings and doing the right thing. And um, yeah, and so I think that what we've been through is helping us hopefully to get to that place um, with more elevation. And and um, it'll be interesting to see what the next three to five years brings for you know the human the human race and society. And hopefully, it's all as positive as it possibly can be. So. Yeah. It's good that you say that the, the the positive that it can be as positive as possible, really, because if you look back in history, it is so easy to find that Armageddon was coming. Yeah, I mean, like through every age, it's the end of the world is imminent, and there has to be some. We have to take some solace solace in 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 the idea of like. Well, that was the thought, but we made it through it. Right. You know? Right. Like, okay. Like, let's address some of these issues. But at the same time, we've made it. We we as human beings have, have made it. Talking about that, you are a red shoes guy. Do you have your reddest of red shoes? Like, if you've got to have your go-to red shoes do you have your go-to red shoes i just so i was in montana doing a um, keynote for an event for the ronald mcdonald house and beautiful event uh, the people that put it on they had three four hundred people show up um most of which were in red shoes they they did a red shoes red carpet thing and they had a whole theme to it i it's the first time i've ever seen it like that so there were red shoes everywhere at the end of that night, I went back to the hotel and I'm sitting there with a group that put this event on and a gentleman walked in with literally red, um, if you remember, you know, the tuxedo shoes, the black um, glossy tuxedo, tuxedo like the patent shoes. leather things. Patent yeah. leather. Yeah. Well, these were red and he walked up to me and he took them off of his feet in front of all these people and he looked at me and he handed them to me and he said, I'm confident you have a lot of red shoes, but I'll bet you don't have any like these. And I want to give these to you. <laughs> and my wife will not let me wear them no matter where we are. Uh, they are both the most beautiful red shoes I've ever seen and probably the most scary and ugly red shoes that I've ever seen. But they are the best by far because there isn't anything that I have that's as shiny as those. Um, yeah, so it's really funny. And then he walked out, by the way, with no shoes on. I offered to give him my red shoes that I had on, which were just some sneakers. And he said, no, 
I, the minute I heard your talk, I wanted to give these to you and I'll bet you don't own other pair like them. I said, no, I don't. I probably never will. <laughs> so so these are, are your, in case of emergency, break glass, your red shoes. They would be, I mean, if I really wanted to up my game, uh, they would be, that That would be the red shoes that, that I would wear. Other than that, I, I probably have 70 pair of red shoes and I've got Vans and Converse and Nike. And I think the Converse Chuck Taylor has probably been the most popular for people to wear. When I see people, that's what they've got on. But anyway. <laughs> I actually have a go-to pair that I've worn for a couple of events that are a pair of uh, Allen Edmonds. They're, they're suede shoes. They're super soft, but they are red. Yeah. I think I may have seen a photo or two of you in those, potentially. I think so. It was my first uh, my first speech after COVID. So the first in-person one. Yeah, I wore these and, and I took a picture of them beforehand to say, I'm bringing my game right now. These are my red shoes. And these are the, this is the game that I'm bringing. So, well, you know what I love about that? Back to the point of people give me a hard time for not wearing red shoes. It's one of those things I think I don't want to overdo it. But I'll tell you, I get hit on that all the time. And just hearing you say that I need to wear my my red shoes a lot more than I do. So if we run into each other at the Delta you know, room and I don't have them on, call me out. <laughs> I'll call you out on it. Well, this is, it, it's really interesting because we we talked offline beforehand mm -hmm. and and we both admitted that we are public or, or professional extroverts and personal introverts, meaning that that really we're on stage and we are we are in the moment when we're on stage, but at the same time, we're giving away you know, giving, giving everything that we have. And, and I feel like, and you probably do too, you end up as sort of an, an empty vessel at the end, which is, which is great. I mean, it's almost like that, that greatest sporting event that you've ever done where you've given everything that you have and you've made it just barely to the finish line. I did the, uh, the, the St. George marathon a couple of times, and there were literally people at the finish line who were catching people as they were coming across. And part of that was it was downhill, but, but that objective, but it's, it's funny after this conversation, having had this conversation with you, I actually feel, I feel recharged through this conversation. And, and, and it's, it's just, it's one of those things that we have to know who we are as people and where we give and what we do because we are different people. Right. And, and how does that strategy work for you yeah so it's something and you and i did talk about this a little bit but it is something that i'm really focused on this year and i think i made the comment to you that you know when you're on stage or i'm on stage you're 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 giving everything you have for the right reason right and um, oftentimes i've walked off stage jumped on a plane to fly somewhere else and there's this that depletion there's a loneliness and i i, I think i've struggled over the years to figure out what it is but i think what it is is that you know, we all want to make a positive impact in the world. And we don't really ever know the impact that we have. Um, sometimes we do. I'm sure, you know, you get letters written to you and whatever, and I do as well. And I, I tend to not discount those, but I tend to try to put them in perspective because I don't, I don't want it to go to my head back to the ego thing. Right. And so you're appreciative. Um, but I think that, you know, for me, what I've learned and back to that point is that if Chris, if you really knew the impact that you were having, the silent impact, and what I mean by that is that people that you've impacted with your voice and your your work, 
that have never maybe said anything to you, but they're out there doing good things every day, positive things, living their life because of something that you said to them. And so I think that that keeps me going. And and where I learned that from a little bit, I've, I've had people along the way say things to me like, if you're actually exhausted at the end of that talk, you're doing it wrong. And I remember the first time somebody said that to me and I said, well, you know, it's just I'm putting so much out there. And they said, no, no, it should be energizing to you. The fact that you get to share this message and people come up, all of that energy should be recharging you. So I've tried to reframe that um, in my own head in terms of, you know, it's true. It's perpetual. Because like you said, you were energized. So am I. Like I've spent time with you. I'm I'm energized now because I get to spend the last hour, you know, speaking with you. And so I think if we go into life with that intent is that if we go to dinner with friends, we're going to have a great time and they're going to fill us up with energy. If we can create the space for them, you know, to give us that. So I think I think that for me, um, that's something I'm really focused on this year. And and then as an introvert, as you and I said, as we step off stage, I've I've chosen to not be. I, I've chosen that I'm going to look people in the eye a little more and say hello, you know. And when I get back on the plane after a talk, I'm gonna I'm gonna not go into my little cocoon and and become small anymore. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually reach out to people. So I'm putting myself out there that way. We'll see how it goes. I'll let you know. <laughs> well, it's I, interesting, right? Because you're you're asking people to be the biggest form of themselves. Yeah. Right. And, and, and celebrating being the biggest form of themselves. My wife said to me one time and my wife, Jean, you, you are reading her book on partnering yeah, right it. now. Yeah. Good for her. It's fantastic. Which Great is book. amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and she did such an amazing job. I mean, it really, it really is a, a beautiful book and a beautiful idea and, and, and the interconnectedness of who we are and how we show up in the world. And, uh, but she said to me about speaking one time, she said, you create ambassadors of change. And and sometimes I think that that's 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 a comment that, that that can make sense to you. I mean, it's the hope, I think, that we're looking for. But the realization of saying, OK, you're creating ambassadors of change and you might not necessarily know it. It's kind of like, you know who your heroes are. But you don't know who you're a hero for necessarily. Yeah, well said. Well said. And and then one more point back to your wife as well. If And this is, um, I lost my train of thought a minute ago, but I wanted to say this. If we knew, all of us, everybody listening in today, if we knew how our friends, how our significant others, our true friends and our significant others speak about us when we're not there, we would be not only embarrassed, but we'd be blown away. You know, I, and Chris, if you heard how I speak about you, you would be like, wow, you know, I, I mean, I hope you would. Or if my wife heard how I speak about her to other people. So I think for those people out there, you know, that may be um, going through difficult times or challenges or whatever the case may be, think about that. I, I have had the opportunity, um, weirdly, to be in a situation where people have been speaking about me, um, family, and they didn't know I was there. And some of the things they said, I'm like, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize they were even aware enough to know that that's part of my life or what I was doing. So I, I always offer that because I think the impact that all of us, every single one of us has on other individuals is much greater than we really think it is. We're so hard on ourselves and, and we, we just need to stop being so hard on ourselves because people are doing the best they can and they're impacting people.
people's lives. They're ambassadors to back to, you know, your wife's point. Um, and the message is we probably should share that a little bit more, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Back to the handwritten note, you know, just write a little handwritten note. In fact, if I could challenge everybody, if you just took this week and it still could be a text or an audio text or whatever, but just take a handwritten note. My wife does this so well and write a little message to a neighbor, to a friend, um, and send it to them and watch the response. It's incredible. People want to be seen. You said it. They want to be seen. So, and rightfully so. Yep, we all do. And Lonnie, one, thank you for helping people to be seen, helping people to realize a way to be seen and to make an impact because you want to make it a positive impact in the world too. It's a legacy and help other people and make their lives better. So thank you for being a vehicle for making that happen for so many. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that, Chris. And likewise, back to you. Thank you for doing the same. You, you, We keep each other moving, my friend, <laughs> and we get one shot at this, right? So got we got to put ourselves out there. So that is for sure. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you to all of you for tuning in. I appreciate your time. I hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, please tell your friends, tell your friends to like us, to follow us. If you can subscribe, we'll bring you more content, more great stories, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you all so much. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to Chris Waddell Living It for more stories on the adaptive community, the Paralympics, artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, experts in the experience of being human. Also follow us on Spotify, Apple, Facebook, and Instagram. I look forward to seeing you next week.